0: Welcome back to Ghouls in the House. I'm Arnold T. Blumberg.
1: And I'm Natalie Lutofsky.
0: And consider this a little Christmas bonus. There's are certain times of the year when we come around to them that feels like, oh, we really need to do something. I mean, Halloween's number one. Obviously. But then, like, around holiday time, Christmas time, it's like, oh, we should do, like, Christmas-themed horror stuff. And we've tended to do that, and we still plan to do an episode that we'll pick a couple things and do it. But while we're ramping up to record our previous episode, you said, why don't we do, like, just a little quick one about having just seen the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special, because that's science fiction. It Indeed. fits in you know, with everything. And I thought, oh, yeah. And also, we just did Werewolf by Night, which was the first time they did a little self-contained sort of 45-minute mm-hmm. TV special uh, for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And this is the second. And they were Halloween and Christmas, basically. So let's do that. So I thought, okay. So for this episode, just as a little quick one, we're going to talk about watching the incredibly delightful, very well done Guardians of the Galaxy special featuring a team and a group of characters that, quite frankly, are n- never been at the top of my list on all this stuff, although I think everybody's very good. Maybe not Chris Pratt, but <laughs> they're all right. Um, he but... shows
1: up as much as contractually obligated to show up. But...
0: Yeah, and as much as we can stand. But the the nice part is that even though the plot of this is basically driven by something everybody wants to do for peter for star lord it's basically a double act with dave batista and pom Clementif as drax and mantis and that was probably the single greatest choice they could have made
1: it was like a little drax and mantis side quest adventure and i would watch a series that was just the two of them without the rest of the guardians We don't have time for trivialities like Christmas. Maybe if we go to Earth for a really wonderful Christmas gift, it would make him happy. Something special he will never forget.
0: What about someone special? We're looking for the legendary Kevin Bacon. And yeah, the fact that it feels like the Guardian stuff is probably coming to an end with the third movie. And James Gunn, who did this as well as the other Guardian stuff and we now know is actually moving over from Marvel to helm the increasingly erratic DC cinematic universe. Good luck to you, Mr. Gunn. Is he uh, likes a challenge. It does seem like this is sort of like closing the curtain on like this group of characters. Uh, Bautista has been sort of vocal in the past about wrapping things up for a variety of reasons. So Mm -hmm. it's nice to get him a couple more times. And they apparently made this special while they were working on Guardians of the Galaxy 3. And apparently this had been the first thing they were going to do when Disney Plus was being thought about. Like we're going to do Disney Plus material. This holiday special was the first idea for something Marvel for that. And so it's finally come to pass And uh, it also introduces Kevin Bacon. (laughs) It's nice to see newcomers getting a chance to shine.
1: Yeah, sometimes older actors just haven't had their break
0: yet. I know. And you just need to give them a chance to Mm -hmm. show that they can be entertaining. And it's, uh, no, so, I mean, it's also like a great callback and like delivery on a longstanding joke that Peter, uh, Chris Pratt's Star-Lord has always been a Kevin Bacon fan Mm -hmm. to say, the whole thing's just a nice little caper where Drax decide to cheer Peter up and say, well, why don't we get him a gift? And they decide to get him Kevin Bacon, uh, which is great fun. And also, as they very carefully have pointed out in promotion for it, this marks the first Marvel Cinematic Universe story in which there is no villain. There is no antagonist. There's no high stakes. It is just a fun little romp where... Mm-hmm. Some kidnapping, some light kidnapping is involved. A little bit of mind control, nothing really excessive. And some really kick-ass songs and great performances (laughs) by the old 97s and heavy alien makeup. And Kevin Bacon also singing along. And it really is a great example of how to do a Christmas special, leaving out some of the more nuanced conversation that's not worth dealing with here that's for another time about, you know, cultural issues around dealing with Christmas. like, if you're going to do this and try to be as inclusive as possible at a time where it's still very much heavy on the iconography of one tradition, this was a very nice way to do it because it didn't rely heavily on spiritual or religious themes. It was more just about the general theme of family and caring for each other and even the songs they did one of which was one of the old 97 songs they'd already recorded and one that they wrote specifically for this one, which is very clear when the show begins, mm-hmm. have a certain kind of irreverent approach to it and a more like nuanced emotional approach to the idea of the holiday season that felt very nice.
1: Well, not only that, but when you talk about the music, they also brought in a lot of non-traditional, like alt-rock Christmas music. Like, I'd forgotten that Smashing Pumpkins Christmas song (laughs) existed until it, like, cropped up in the movies, and that was, like, a real nostalgia bomb for me.
0: And what was it? The Pogues? The Pogues. The Pogues start off, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, we both, we've had slightly different experiences growing up with Christmas specials and holiday specials, and for you, it was something where, especially because of the types of holiday specials that were coming out when you were a kid, were just so like sweet and and good and like all of the sort of puppetry and Rankin and Bass and all of that that it just I can understand how you would kind of gravitate towards it as a kid and like have a good nostalgic feeling about Christmas and for me I have always hated Christmas movies if a movie is about Christmas I don't really want anything to do with it so it's saying a lot to say that I enjoyed this so much that the day after we watched it, my parents came over and I made them watch it too. <laughs> I set them down I was like, And they loved it. And like, they're not that steeped, but they've seen the Guardians movies. And so they, they kind of have a basic understanding of the characters. But, but that's you,
0: another thing. You don't really need to know you much. You just need to know that they're friends and they care about him and they want to, and they're also sort of goofy and backward. And that's it.
1: Yeah. And so it's just like, Basically, two children with incredible powers were given the chance to, like, go to Earth and, like, live out their fantasies. And it's just very fun. And it's fun to watch, like, the two of them and how they interact and to have them... Get to be in a situation where there are absolutely no stakes, and I think you and I both really gravitated towards that too. They didn't feel the need to like insert some kind of villain character or somebody who's like threatening to like ruin Christmas and they have to defeat them, right? Yeah, we've like, covered that enough. This is things. just wholesome human trafficking, <laughs>
0: right?
1: This is just two friends palling around. Trying to gift another friend with a human being because it's Christmas, which is horrifying to him when it does happen.
0: Which is why it also qualifies for our show, because from Kevin Bacon's point of view, (laughs) it can be truly horrifying. Mm -hmm. Although the nice part is that once he's completely freed from the mind control, he chooses to stay because he realizes that he can help them enjoy Christmas, and yeah. Give Peter, and he's going to come back for Easter, apparently. So and the,
1: they also, I mean, right from the start, kind of set it up where Kevin Bacon himself is just a huge fan of Christmas. Yeah, like his whole house is done up. He's got this huge tree. He's got. He's watching like,
0: Santa Claus. uh it?
1: Santa Claus Conquers the Martians the, of the
0: Martians of oh, yeah. on
1: TV as he's settling in for like a sandwich. And... and not the
0: Mystery Science Theater version. He's just watching the movie. No, he's just watching yeah.
1: the movie and like enjoying it thoroughly. And it's just very it's just very sweet. It's a very sweet movie, despite all of like the the fight scenes and screaming running down the street and the kidnapping and
0: <laughs> yeah. all of
1: that. But then there's also like, you know, Delightful scenes of like taking photos for money outside of Gramman's Theater, and like hanging out at a gay bar and just being like the life
0: <laughs> of the party. And now the Gobots are Marvel Universe canon. Apparently, that's something that's also <laughs> interesting. And even in, another thing too that we talked about with We're Off by Night is how much we like the fact that it's like only forty-five minutes and out. It's a great length for telling a story with some characters. Not only is it a great opportunity for Batista and Clementine to get like the focus and show that they have great comedic chops, which you already knew. Right. But I mean, in a movie that's like, you know, the whole team in a big event with a villain, they don't get there. they are the comic relief you go to for two minutes. You're not going to get a whole thing this way. They got to be the whole thing. That's nice. But also it was, it was nice that again, it's short, it's contained. You get the chance to focus on characters who would otherwise not get the focus in a larger production. And, you can be done with it in an hour and not feel like, oh, this is a three-hour epic. This is something that's a nice self-contained story. But also, even in that, it was for people that are fans of the characters in the ongoing saga, some nice additional emotional stuff with the flashbacks to Yandu and Peter's youth. And that was also a nice little angle as far as paying homage to classic Christmas specials where Gun is, I guess Gun's kind of, I was gonna say he's kind of my age. Uh, not a hundred percent sure. When was he born? Yeah, he's pretty much. He's fifty six, so we're we're basically the same. They did the Yondu flashbacks in rotoscoped animation, and I only found out afterward that they actually shot live action for that and then did the rotoscoping. Because his gun said, he was thinking back to all the old Ralph Bakshi stuff, like the Lord of the Rings movie or the star wars holiday special having the animated segment and the idea that even when you had a live action show there'd be animation sometimes or in fact last night we just watched again because i always like to revisit all the stuff every year like you were just saying mm-hmm. and we were watching grinch and the boris karloff grinch that's the only one and um <laughs> and uh, santa claus is coming to town it was just striking me again this time. It's like Santa Claus is Coming to Town is one of the Rankin-Bass ones using the Animagic stuff with the puppets, you know, the stop motion. And yet there's the Jefferson Airplane kind of song sequence where Jessica does her song. And when like suddenly it kicks into some 2D animation and shows her as like cartoon as well. And they did do some 2D stuff also, but it's weird where all of a sudden in the middle of that one, you're getting the 2D as well, which just shows how this is, exactly right that idea of like they would mix and match media sometimes in the old specials for whatever reason and it was kind of neat that the flashbacks in the past were done with the cartoon
1: there's also sort of a a running bit throughout like the latter half of the movie where mantis and drax they thought kevin bacon was like a legendary earth hero based on peter's recollections But Peter left Earth when he was very young and the way he describes things had led them to believe these were all things Kevin Bacon had done and not that he was an actor playing characters. And once they realize he's an actor, it's like all of them, there's like some kind of feeling for all of them that actors are like the scum of the earth. And like (laughs) it's like this running bit through that. But there's even, they get to the mention of Friday the 13th, where she's like, well, what about the time you stalked and killed like the the villain Jason Voorhees through the woods? And he's like, again, it's a part, he's playing it. But he gets to say, you know, I didn't defeat him, but I got killed with an arrow through the neck. And then Drax being Drax is just loving that part of it, where it's <laughs> like, that's great. And um, it's just such a nice little touch, and coupled with the fact that we didn't, do it on purpose because like we weren't thinking about it but right before we watched this holiday special like the night before oh yeah we had just been flipping through streams on pluto and we ended up leaving on like the last hour of footloose yeah. And like had that on in the background. And so it was kind of funny because we didn't un- like unintentionally like prepped ourselves for watching the holiday special by watching him save a town through dancing.
0: And I have to say also, i had totally forgotten that that was the plot of the first Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. Again, I know a lot of people went nuts for Guardians of the Galaxy at the time. They thought, like, oh, this is a watershed moment. In the whole early history of the marvel cinematic universe we were really blowing out all the doors now and it's like now we got the talking raccoon we got the tree it's like we go into space and i was one of the ones i mean back at the time i was doing like teaching and lecturing about it too it's like that was a great example of look how far we've come there was that element of we need to train the audience like kevin feige's whole thing at the very beginning of the marvel cinematic universe was we need to train a mainstream of a going audience so we can get them to the point where a talking raccoon will be okay. Right. And the idea was we need to slowly incrementally lead them into a comic book world by saying, this is going to seem normal first. And the thing is then later they added a lot of things have clearly happened before the time of Tony Stark. They were already crazy, but we didn't see that yet. Right. So we slowly build up to the Avengers. But by the time we got to guardians, It was like and for me, too, I mean, I was delighted because I can't believe we've gotten to the point where like everybody in the world is excited to go see a movie in space, you know, with Rocket and Groot and all this stuff It's like this is insane. And yet everybody's embracing it, except that for me, I also didn't care for that as much. Mm -hmm. I think for a lot of people, Guardians would easily be in like the top three or five, but I'm not a huge fan I mean, I like it. It's fine. It's funny. It's exciting. I like the characters. I enjoyed them being part of the whole Infinity War part of it. And I, as I think it's very clear, I think Drax and Mantis particularly are fantastic and, and very funny. But if I had to choose, I'm, I'm never going to put on Guardians of the Galaxy. And for me, even as a kid reading the comics, there were elements of the Marvel Universe that to me were always, oh, that's the boring part. I don't care about much. And the cosmic stuff was always that for me. Right. Um, So I never cared as much about it. And I think this is, as much as you said, like, you don't care for Christmas stuff, and yet you wanted them to see it. For me also, it's like, I thought this was absolutely delightful. And it was focused on a team and characters I would never have picked as my first choice. Mm -hmm. But I thought was excellent. and, And gave those two a chance to shine. And I think that's great. So it was you a know, beautiful piece of work. I'd love to see them, I think we already said this with Werewolf by Night, I'd love to see them really invest in doing a lot more of this kind of thing. Absolutely. I think there's, there's literally hundreds, if not thousands of characters in the whole history of Marvel that could easily be used in stories and given an opportunity by saying, let's do 45 minutes on this one character. It may never amount to anything. I mean, then you find out if there's a movie in it or a show in it. But maybe just try 40 minutes of this one, 40 minutes of another one, and give us a chance to see how crazy some... That's the other thing, too, is it gives you the opportunity to try crazier things because you don't have to spend a lot of time on it. You just do 40 minutes, and you do something really weird, and, you know, I don't like Big Wheel or... uh, what was it, Turner D Century? We could do a Turner D Century movie.
1: We could also do, um, say, like a standalone <laughs> Madison and Wong adventure. Oh, that well, that would be wonderful. That would be fantastic.
0: Madison and Wong just like tripping through the multiverse and she's always got a drink in her hand. And that would be fantastic. They're on
1: their way to get Froyo, but they gotta do a couple
0: things first. Thanks for listening to Ghouls in the House, featuring Natalie B. Litovsky and R.L.T. T. Blumberg. You can find Natalie on Post.News at M.B.Litofsky, that's nb Lit of Sky, and Arnold at Doctor of the Dead, that's me. Our movies this episode were, well, just one, the Guardians of the Galaxy Holiday Special from 2022. You're coming with us as a Christmas present. Ghouls in the House is an ATV Publishing production. Check out our other podcasts, books on your favorite fictional worlds, and other assorted goodies at www.atvpublishing.com.